0: Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Stephen Cox, and it is time for our week in review. So it has been less than one week since the Senate voted to acquit Donald Trump, which has led to a civil war in the GOP, one that has reached our borders here in Washington in the form of Jamie Herrera Butler and Lauren Culp. So to talk about all of this and what it means, we have Will Casey. He's the former communications director for the Washington State Democrats and is now the managing partner for left wing digital. Hello, Will.
1: Hey, Stefan. Always, uh, always thankful to be here.
0: Well, it's going to be a permanent thing, man. I should just let people know we're going to be doing this every week. So, uh, yeah, you're on board. We're doing it. Uh, Shasti Conrad is the chair of the King County Democrats. And hello to you, Shasti.
2: Hello. Great to be with you again.
0: So as I am reading this intro, um, I'm thinking, is anybody else having trouble getting your head around the fact that the impeachment trial was less than a week ago? It was like six days ago. Doesn't it seem like forever? Yeah, yeah. I, or like, uh,
2: did it even happen? Like, it feels like what <laughs> is it just a mirage? Um,
0: <laughs> I guess I thought that once we were past the era of Trump, that the days wouldn't be as long, but they are. Also, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know about you guys, uh, that the media mostly got Jamie Herrera Butlers' name right. Yeah, no <laughs> Boitlers, no Butlers.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you
1: know, this she did a historic thing. She was, uh, you know, showed some spine for the first time in her political career. So, you know, we got to give her a little bit of credit where it's due.
0: We will talk all about that. Uh, so let's just talk about the acquittal uh, to start with. So as we know, seven Republicans voted to convict. Uh, this is the most bipartisan impeachment vote in history. But, you know, this was just an airtight case. Uh, we know that the other 43 had to have known that Trump was guilty, but They voted to acquit. Um, Shasti, I'll just ask you bluntly, what do you make of that?
2: It was jaw drop, right? I just I mean, look, facts don't matter to Republicans anymore. And the fact that we are even having to treat the Republican Party as uh, folks who want to be actively engaged in democracy um, feel is just it's a farce. And, you know, I think we have to stop treating them as equal opponents who are worthy of our time and energy because they are not they're not they're not they don't care they are completely fine with being um there to block any progress they will take care of their own they've thrown completely in with um trumpers and we have to stop trying to find some you know golden I don't know, you know, like put Mitt Romney on the on the on the platform and say, like, you know, there's some hope. Nope, it's not going to happen. It's not going to come from them. We have to just it's the only work that's ever going to get done is on our side of the aisle.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, what are your thoughts generally about that? I mean, it seems like we have a system right now that incentivizes all the wrong things. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you about the vote to acquit. And also what do you make of McConnell voting to convict and then giving this speech on the Senate floor directly after about how basically Trump was guilty?
1: It's not great, Stefan. It's just it's really not great. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the only, it's the only thing that we can do in this circumstances is, is take them at their word, right? I mean, it's on, I am so tired, and I think the rest of the country, honestly, is so tired at Republicans trying to play this game with the D.C. press corps where they, you know, say like, oh, they make these mouth noises about how, you know, Trump is bad and he bears responsibility, but they act as if they believe in conspiracy theories, right? And I think that it's time for us to start living by the maxim that, you know, we believe, who they are when they show us the first time. So I think that trying to reverse engineer the strategy of people like McConnell um, is only reinforcing this narrative that politics is a game and that Congress is just reality television. Um, And it's not. This is real people's lives. Right. I mean, in in this particular instance, it's the lives of everyone who was at the Capitol that day, not just, you know, the members themselves, but their staff, the Capitol staff who are nonpartisan, just trying to provide security or have a police officers, several of whom have died. Um, as a result of their injuries in that in that attack. I mean, it's it's reality here. And, and what we've seen is that when rubber meets the road, the Republican Party can't be counted on to act like they want to belong in our democracy. So.
0: Well, so yes to all that. Absolutely. Um, And so then let's talk about Jamie Herrera Butler, because I think a lot of people were very surprised by what she did, uh, first by voting to impeach, but then also being the only Republican willing to testify. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things that like I woke up on Saturday morning, I'm like, huh, who, what? Like the whole world uh, heard of Jamie Herrera Butler for the first time. Given everything you have both just said about, you know, the way that we have a political system that incentivizes Republicans to do the wrong thing, what do we think is motivating her? Why did she do this? Do, Will, do you have any, any thoughts?
1: well i mean i should start off by saying i'm the furthest furthest person from objective when it comes to jamie Vera butler right i mean i worked for her opponent in 2018 in the general election Uh, as her comms director i was you know construct of the party when she was our top target this past cycle and so you know uh being clear about my lack of objectivity on this issue um still it is Obviously apparent and and frustrating that she's doing this just because it's her own, you know, political interest. Right. I mean, she saw that, you know, the the most populous county in her district, Clark County, was carried by Joe Biden. She understands she needs at least some votes of people who rejected the president's, you know, toxic ideology and, and failed presidency to keep her job personally. Um, And at the same time, you know, there's really there's no coalition supporting her. Right. I mean, she cannot be more transparently sort of, you know, political about this. You know, she allegedly wrote in Paul Ryan in 2016 instead of voting for Trump. And then, you know, a fact that gets left out of all of these glowing uh, soft focus profiles of her in the wake of this, you know, moment. Uh, is that she publicly committed to voting for the president again in 2020 after seeing how terrible he was in office. Right. And so, you know, the only thing here is that she just had to have thought that this was in her self-interest. And I think the fact that you've seen, um, you know, corporate America, who are the people who keep her in office, uh, sort of say that they're going to withhold donations to folks who are questioning the you know, integrity of our elections, um, is the, the best signal you can interpret sort of her or the best motivation you can interpret her actions for. Um, But I mean, honestly, she did the least she could possibly do at the last possible moment. And it was still, you know, something that was incredibly disappointing.
0: So you're saying follow the money. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's always the case with Jimmy Caron (laughs) Butler.
0: Well, Shazdy, you're probably not going to let her off the hook either, right?
2: Hell no! (laughs) I was just thinking, you know, there's a saying, it's like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, it's like, if an impeachment trial happens and like seven barely relevant, you know, Republicans like support it, like, does it even matter? Like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, and it's so frustrating. I think, you know, to Will's point, like we have to stop being shocked by Republicans not doing what is best for the country like what is best for their constituents like what is best for democracy we have to stop we have to stop thinking that like again like i said earlier like some saving grace because it keeps happening um i've been working through obama's book um a promised land and here's there's a really key passage in there where he talks about um you know, he's sort of reflecting back on like those early lessons and in which, you know, I was I was around in the first term and that Affordable Care Act fight like taught me a lot because we wasted so much time. Thinking that we could get something that the Republicans would support, that we could get bipartisan support for, you know, that like we could really like, we could find that silver bullet and, you know, the America would all come together. And it's like, no, the American public want, like, they want progressive policies. They want, you know, gun account, a reform and accountability. They want health care. They want accountability for Trump. They don't want to have to face off against insurrectionists and white supremacists. That is clear. The vast majority of Americans agree. The Republican Party continues to block any type of progress on those things. And we have to stop pretending like anything's going to be different it's like being in a bad relationship you know like you just keep trying to like okay but this time it's going to be different you know <laughs> i say the right thing i bring the right gifts i you know i wear my hair different and we know it never changes the only thing that changes is you get out of that bad relationship and you put your own boundaries in place and you walk out to a shaka con theme song and you go like i'm a badass i'm not playing this game anymore. Like, let me go find, uh you know, let me go find a new friend. And, you know, that new friend is, like, led by the AOCs and the squad and, you know, Mondaire Jones and Jamal Bohm. It's like, Corey Bush, we got to go get in and, like, throw in with that in that space and focus on, like, really supporting awesome progressive people and stop being shocked by the Jamie Herrera butlers and, like, trying to turn them into something, like, they're not, they're just not. She failed, she did one vote and then completely dropped it and didn't back it up. So, no,
0: so not a profile oh, no. in courage, is, is what I hear. No, you no, say. no, 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 <laughs> she
2: should not be getting the JFK award this year or any, any year. Um, and uh, does not get to come home to Washington to any kind of big fanfare.
0: I'm sorry. But no. Okay. Well, fair enough. And you know, honestly, there has been so much ink uh, and you know zeros and ones spilled about the notion that uh, progressive people, Americans, really want progressive policies. And I think the three of us should do an entire show just about that and how we, you, you will being the uh, the communications master that you are, how we get that message out uh, to, to to people effectively. But that's for another day. Um, you know, Shasti. What, what you're kind of alluding to is, you know, and you've seen this firsthand, is that the GOP is becoming or, or has become what it's kind of been on track to become since you first encountered it in the White House with the Tea Party. And in, in my opinion, really since Goldwater, not, not that I was old enough to be around for Goldwater, but if you track it back that far, that that's really where kind of the seeds of a lot of this come from. So the question is, what do we do? Um, how do we eradicate this? You know, what? What? what is ultimately happening with the GOP? We beat them.
2: You know, like we just we win elections and we make them so that they are an irrelevant, you know, minority, which is something that they've tried to do to us for forever. Right. Like we just we just can't keep trying to, you know, play the same game. And I think Democrats like we're com- we're like. We're so used to being the underdog that it's like we get comfortable in losing so that when we're the winners and we have power, we don't know how to wear it. Like, we just don't know what to do with that. Oh, my God. Yes. Why is that? Seriously, why is that? Listening. I mean, it's it's a simple power analysis. It's like, you know, it takes a lot out of when you're used to getting beat up. Right. Like you're used to just taking the hits it is hard it takes a lot of time to process through to be like oh i'm safe and i'm okay and i can push forward and i can like put something like i i'm my own self and i don't you know i don't need to keep looking for what's coming next and i think as democrats like we're just always afraid that like we're gonna say the wrong thing we're gonna do the wrong thing we're gonna you know and and also that like does winning and getting things done does that keep me in office? And I think for some of these people, it's easier to have the like, you know, well, I have to stay in because we've got, we're still fighting this battle that we've been fighting for 40 years. And like, you know, nobody else understands it. So we had that even here in Washington state where they pulled back somebody who had retired because he was the only one who could help with the budget this year. And, you know, it, it's like, come on. And I think also, I mean, you know, I think it's 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 sort of funny, but it's really emblematic, which is like what Chris Coon said about like, you know, we just want to get back to, for our Valentine's Day, you know, like celebrations. We don't want to be here to do the work. And it's it's because they're so disconnected from the public. They're they're connected from people's plights, like the actual pain and suffering that people are going through that like the only thing it's just another day job. Right. So like like even though you have the power losing to the republicans is just like business as usual so it's like switching that over like doesn't matter you get paid the you get paid the same amount right if whether you lose or you win and 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 in some of these districts we're not challenging some of these folks who are not delivering so I don't know. I just, I think we've got to come in with fresh energy. And I think the people that are doing that are like, you know, the sort of millennial folks of color who are just like, I don't want to keep losing. Like this, this doesn't work. And we've got it we really have to follow that energy because otherwise it's going to we're going to lose. We're going to lose the house and the Senate in 22 if yeah. we're not careful.
0: Agreed. And I think Progressives absolutely have the right idea on this one. You know, even when we're in the majority, we we have this mentality like we're in the minority. Um and so basically if we win, uh, we do it with such force that we uh, basically make the GOP become whatever the opposite of neoliberal is. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you think?
1: I mean, I think Shasti is exactly right. I think the only way forward is through, right? Like this is a situation where we have to acknowledge the fact that there's lots of work that should have been done over the last forty years that hasn't been done. And, and just when you, you know, are only making the minimum payment on your credit cards, if you really want to get clear of that debt, it's going to be painful and difficult, and it's going to require some sort of drastic action, right? And so I think that this uh, situation is really something where our representatives are responding to what they feel as a really real threat that all of the districts in the House, for example, are subject to gerrymandering. And so, you know, we could lose the House In 2022, just by the fact that the Republicans redraw lines in a bunch of states where we, you know, they didn't do as well as we did here in Washington, preserving or, you know, gaining ground in the state legislature. And so I think, you know, the only way that we can get through this is if we force the Republicans to compete in a fair and free election, and that requires passing the For the People Act. That's H.R. 1, which... Would do a number of things to help clean up our elections um, that we that are vastly overdue. But most importantly, would require independent, nonpartisan commissions um, to draw these district boundary lines. And you know, in states like North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, these are competitive states at the statewide level. Georgia, for example, and you know, this, the Republicans are capturing a majority of those seats simply because they're able to rig the the, the game, the rules of the game, and we just can't tolerate that any longer but of course you know that requires limiting the filibuster which you know is, is uh, yet another topic we should visit in entirely an and subject. we will
0: absolutely yeah yeah you know th- here's something that I, I actually would love to get your thoughts both of your thoughts on and it's not in the notes uh, it's just something that is, is occurring to me is there a way for Democrats right now to exploit this GOP civil war that is happening right now Shasti do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I mean, there have been periods where the Democratic Party has been, you know, very inward focused on figuring out, you know, what direction we were going to go in. And the Republicans have, have always exploited that. And I think for us, it's like they we should let them fall into this, like, gross chaos that they have their own making and, like, let them battle it and, like, not like just don't shine a light on Like, it's not our it's not our battle, like our our focus has to be on getting this country moving forward. We still have, I mean, I think we're nearing almost 500,000 deaths from COVID Mm. and, you know, we've got uh, eviction moratoriums that are coming up. And so like people are suffering. It's our job to like focus there. Like Will is saying on like things like HR one, which is like would completely reform democracy. Um, And, you know, it's like, we enjoy right? It's like eating popcorn and, and watching like the gladiator spectacle of what's happening in the Republican Party. But we should treat it like it is, which is gross and like a school yard fight that isn't ours to take on. It's like, hey, that's their baggage, you know, like let them keep it um, and, and let us just stay focused on what the people what people need. That's what that's what that's why I'm a part of the Democratic Party is because what I always was told and what I truly believed was that we were about people. We were about all people. We were about actually doing, you know, it's why we believe in government, because we think government should be there to care for people when they're struggling you know like if that that they're that we are a full society and community that supports each other look at what's happening in texas right now you know like like the government like we shouldn't have mutual aid that's run off of like random people's phone banking or like social media campaigns that should be government's response and that's what the democrats should be focused on and the Republicans just, like, don't get to come to the part, like, they don't get to be a part of it if they're gonna fight like this, and if they're gonna, you know, throw in, like, you know, Joshua Freed, who's the, you know, chair of King County GOP, right, like, his battle right now is fighting on, you know, Twitter, and then saying that, like, we're mad at Butler, who barely did anything, and, like, let's go protest the governor's mansion, like, sorry, but off, like just go, <laughs> like you don't get to play. You don't like take your toys, go someplace else. And that's and Democrats have to stop being like, oh, but like, let's pay attention to how they're playing with their toys. Like, no, we've we've got a we've massive crises on our hand that the Democratic Party is the best to uh to take up because we're supposed to be about caring for people. So that's where we have to keep our focus.
0: Will, I see you nodding a lot. Focus on people, focus on governing, stay away from the GOP in disarray kind of stories. And, you know, I'll just ask you, with that dynamic, how do you see the Republicans, let's just call it the Civil War, uh, how do you see that playing out here in Washington?
1: Well, I mean, it's over, right? Like the Trumpists have won. Um, and I think that that's that's the the really the true telling here is that we have to continue to drive the narrative that you know while we are helping people you know these folks are, are engaged in this culture war nonsense right I mean like it is it's all fine and, and well and, and good um, to you know focus about or to have a basically an entire platform of letting your your Supporters eat tweets when you're coasting off of the Obama economy. Um, It's another thing when you can't provide power to, you know, people who are almost and sometimes in cases literally freezing to death in Texas. Right. Um, And don't have the luxury of, of fleeing to Cancun for the weekend. Ted you know? Cruz. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that there is some utility, though, in in bringing some light. And I mean, uh, I say this as somebody who spent a lot of the last year and a half of my life um, trying to drive coverage on this issue. But you, the Republican strength has always been that they are a monolithic coalition, right? They don't have the same coalition politics to do that we have to engage in because, you know, we are effectively, you know, a, a coalition of people who are coming together because, Individually, none of our interests can you know, win the day, but as, you know, as a collective, we can actually hold power and are. Um, but Republicans you know, have those structural advantages until we take them away from them. And uh, as Joshua Freed said when he was running for governor in a spectacularly uh, failure of a campaign, um, you know, this issue of having to confront domestic terrorism in their own ranks was a grenade that we rolled into the room and they were the ones who pulled the pin, right? Like They're going to do this to themselves we just have to make sure that we stay unified in our opposition to that level of support for frankly what is you know domestic terrorism right like we cannot let this story go we always have to remind people that there was one party who wanted there to be a democracy and there was another party that didn't care if it continued or not as long as they held power right and the reason that that is important is the things that shasti is saying right we need to be able to deliver them healthcare reliable power, renewable energy, you know, uh, direct economic relief in terms of the COVID package. We're the ones who are now managing the vaccine rollout. Could you imagine if Trump was just like letting vaccine doses spoil on shelves right now? It would be the most irritating and frustrating and just enraging story that we'd be seeing every single day. But instead, the Biden administration is well on track to exceed their goal of 100 million doses in the first 100 days, right? That is the difference that good governance makes. And we need to be screaming that story from the rooftops for the next you know, two years while also pointing out that, you know, the Republican Party, they're not interested in being governing partners. They just want to be on reality television.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's about grievance politics. um, And, you know, we we have those people right here at home. Right. We have uh, we have Lauren Culp, for example, uh, who has been really taking a a page right out of Trump's uh, playbook. Um, You know, he's doing his own Ignite the Right rally in April. Um, we'll talk a little bit about this because I know you've been tracking this very closely. Um, this all sounds vaguely familiar. What do we do as activists to uh, kind of position ourselves in opposition to what's happening here?
1: Well, I mean, I think we have to be very clear about the consequences of this type of, you know, performative politics, right? Like the last time that there was a, uh, I mean, they called it the Unite the Right rally back in 2017, um, when Heather Heyer was run down by a white supremacist driving a truck into a crowd and, and died, right? Like this is not a game. I mean, I, I don't know how many different ways we can say that same message. Um, but that is the thing that people need to understand about this. And I think that the thing that people don't entirely get on our side of the aisle, because we are solution minded um, and we are trying to come up with ways to fix things because we actually look at and see the suffering in the world and want to you know, reduce or eliminate it, um, is that they have convinced this, you know, the, the people who live in this bubble of propaganda um, are convinced that nothing can ever get better, right? They are convinced that as long as the world is going to be terrible anyway, we might as well have some sort of psychic reward for watching other people suffer more. Right. And that is that sort of beggaring of our politics that, you know, folks like Rush Limbaugh um, who no one should be, you know, uh, waxing poetic about this week um, made possible my entire lifetime. Right. It's the reason we haven't solved any of these problems since the nineties. And I think that this is something that we need to stress over and over again, is that, you know, in, we we've let these things crumble as much as we can, and now people are paying the real price in their lives. But it can get better, right? And it's this this narrative that they're selling that sort of you know you're we're doomed no matter what. It's up to you to make sure you get your part of of whatever the is, is left at the end um, is just frankly not true in a country that has you know come up with multiple vaccines that have never been developed this quickly that are stopping a worldwide pandemic and are distributing it effectively. Right. Like we are making a real difference in people's lives right now. And that's the message we need to be carrying to people is that like, even on above like any particular specific, you know, individual policy issue that like it's possible things to get better. Right. Like this, this is a lie that you're being told and, and we need to help them sort of walk back from
2: that brink.
0: Yeah. Well, Shasti, I'm wondering how all this is landing with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely I think wills wills right on. Um, but I I also think, you know, I mean, I I often look at this from I studied sociology in college and so I come I come at it from a perspective where um, you know, y- you have to look at like the the human part of the experience that we're having at a macro level. And, you know, it's going I've it's hard. I've been really challenged lately about we're having all these, I mean, really important conversations around like diversity and equity and inclusion, but it also means that I think that we are sometimes like, we're, we're, we're pushing people into these different silos. And instead of like, at times I think, you know, the folks that are leading like the insurrection, you know, we can't, we shouldn't forgive them. Right. It's not like a blanket, like, Hey, you know, that, that wasn't good. You should be nicer. But I think we have to look and understand them as people that are not, it's not just economic anxiety, right? This is like, they have grown, they have, this is generations of, of feeding off of white supremacy being baked into um, what it is to be American, what it is to be strong, what it is to have a very male patriarchal perspective is that this is baked in, this is, this kind of, you know, rah, rah, if I'm not getting what I want, then we, then everything is broken. Like it's, it's all about me. Um, We have to treat those folks with, with some compassion in that as, as our side gains more power, you know, as, as more people of color move into leadership roles, as younger people move into leadership roles, as more women move into leadership roles, these people are losing power. And, like, as we were just talking about earlier, I think, like, Will just ran through amazing successes that are happening under a new Democratic, you know, administration. And we, we need to be spending more time doing exactly what Will just did, talking about that. But as we were just saying about how Democrats are having a hard time being able to uh, understand what, like, how to operate with power, we also have to give some—not space exactly—but like that these that Republicans don't know how to lose power gracefully. <laughs> and I'm saying it as nicely as I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm you're, you're doing fine. To to yeah, be please continue. Thank yeah. you. I'm trying to be compassionate, <laughs> um, and that like you know, when you think about it within like your own family, like, you know, I meet people all the time who are just like, what do I do? You know, like my father has has sort of has gone into QAnon and is like, you know, in these spaces, you know, do we, I think when we talk about the Republican Party, we can say like, no, we're not going to spend more time analyzing that because it's a mess and we need to get back to work. But on a human level, we can't dismiss other humans who we are trying to hold into the, you know, knitted fabric of American society. And so human to human, we have to spend a little bit of effort in trying to say, Okay, your behavior is not okay, we are going to hold you accountable. There are massive boundaries being put that are absolutely like, you need to be punished for what you've done. But here are the steps with which you as a human if you can change we have to leave room for change you are allowed back back into the space if you if you take these steps and we have to uh, like it sucks because it means as are as democrats we always have to be the adults in the room right but it is the reality with which we it just is and so we have to be in our parent consciousness and say like okay you got did you take the punishment do you understand what you did was wrong now like how do we enter you back into this space and and that you can and there are ways you can win too but you have to come and play on our like you have to be on our team you have to come and play in a space that we're in um and 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 we have to. I think that's how we have to think about some of this stuff too. It's
0: such a. You're explaining it so well, and it's such it's such a heavy lift. And I and I hear people. I can feel the resistance to the idea. And so um and 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 it isn't because you you uh, didn't explain it or or lay it out with compassion. But I wonder. Will, I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of don a cynical hat here and say, is there a practical end to this approach of doing this sort of one-on-one work? that Shasti is talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I think pe- what people need to understand is that the people who deserve to be canceled are the, the elected officials who are you know, profiting themselves personally off of misleading people into this grievance politics where they are having a need met. Right. They are having a need met. That need is to feel like a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of identity in this opposition because again, they're starting from this premise that things can never get better. And so I might as well, you know, make sure that I'm getting mine, right? And I think that that is ultimately like a very morally empty and bankrupt appeal that people turn to and are and are sort of not, uh, they're, they're encouraged by because they feel lonely and isolated and hopeless already, right? Again, this is not economic anxiety. This is decades, arguably generations of Republican politicians failing to bring the kind of resources and development to their communities so that they can feel like there is a thriving place for them in a future that includes everyone. Um, And that is what our messaging has always been about as Democrats, right? We don't leave people out. And so we have to take that into our personal lives and say, listen, like. I'm not excusing your behavior. I'm not, I, I want you to know the ways that your behavior has hurt me and how the distance between, you know, that uncle who you unfriended on Facebook or that cousin or sister or friend um, who you cut out of your life and make them aware that their absence is making you worse off too. And I think that that, you know, is that like, listen, we are, we, the only way through for us as a democracy is to make sure that everyone from the grassroots all the way to elected officials understands that adopting this type of toxic white supremacist ideology gets you excommunicated right like there is no place in society for these people right like i have no sympathy not even a single like ounce of compassion for josh holly right he knows what he's doing he's actively making it harder and actively making it more dangerous for people to engage in democracy um that's happening in republican state legislatures across the country but individual people who we know like those people are gettable right because they didn't have a very firm attachment to politics in the first place that's how they were they were sort of lured into believing this and it is you know a psychological sort of you know warping that happens but there's no way to deprogram people from this like you know cult-like following at scale it has to happen in the one-on-one situations and you know not every single one of those things is going to work right just like every time you phone bank somebody and try to get them out to vote, not everyone picks up your call and not everyone stays on the phone, not everyone actually, some people hang up on you, right? But it's as, as each one of us does this over and over and over and over again, that cumulative effort can have a healing effect on our society, right? Like we have to be the change here. Um, and this is something that, you know, is, is, is about carrying a message of hope and optimism if people are willing to sort of take that first step and meet you, not even halfway, but just like 10% of the way. Right. To say that, like, I am sorry for the way that I have made you feel. And you might not get that. But like, it's at least worth trying. And the fact that, like, we believe that it is worth trying, that's what makes us, you know, more altruistically minded than the Republicans.
0: I would love to hear people sound off on this idea. Uh, And so if you have thoughts about this, uh, put it in the chat bar. I would love to to hear feedback on this because you both make a very compelling case. It's food for thought. Okay, so this has been a lot. Uh, so why don't we end on something fun? So let's talk about something that brought each of us joy. I would say spark joy, but I'm afraid that I would get into some copyright issues. Uh, so, uh, so we'll actually, Shasta, let's start with you. What is something that gave you joy this week?
2: Um, Well, I think, you know, definitely uh, the progress on the vaccine, like sort of distribution, Um, you know, what started out as, you know, kind of being a little messy, um, seems like it's been going well. And I'm really happy to report that my mom, who many people have heard me talk about before, who uh, has chronic kidney disease and goes to dialysis three times a week, she got the vaccine on Monday. Um, and you know, it, it was, yeah. And then like, and I just, again, like on the human point perspective, like I didn't fully know, I didn't fully connect with how much stress and anxiety Thinking about my mom's safety was really weighing on me. And although you know it's the fir- it was the first dose. Um, knowing that they're like that, like in a month she'll have the second dose, and that that will hopefully protect her for the foreseeable future. Like all of a sudden, I was like, oh. and also I had this feeling of like we like we did it. Like I I I was able to help keep her alive for a year. And I like I'll get emotional if I think about it, if I go into it too deeply. But I like how much that pressure has been weighing at. Like you don't know, like you don't you know. And I just think about on the macro of how many of our fellow you know Americans have been feeling that or have been grieving. Many people know I lost my uncle not to COVID, but I lost him in April and um, of last year. And and you know like. That grief was overwhelming. And nearly five hundred thousand of our of our fellow citizens are have been feeling that for the last year. And now we're trying to keep ourselves safe. So the joy part of it is that, like, I think we can all take a a deep breath um as we go through this process. and and, like will said earlier, that the Biden administration is doing, such a better job than what a trump administration could ever even they wouldn't they wouldn't have invested in it um because it was uh, fake so um it just feels a lot better and i feel i feel really excited about that And, and it's been great to see like people posting on social media like you know i got the vaccine or my my parents got it and i'm feeling you know i'm feeling better that's that's really exciting to see that
0: I'm so happy for both you and your mom, uh, and please send her our love, and I will just uh, dovetail on what you're saying. Uh, my septuagenarian parents are also getting their second jab today, and I couldn't be more excited. My dad has been having some health issues, and it's, it is that worry that you talk about. I mean, I've, I've lain awake at night thinking about that very thing, and um, I will also mention on kind of a frivolous note that uh, I got a new treadmill, and it came with iFit. Do you guys know what this is? You don't know what iFit is, okay? So basically, it's got videos that kind of you know they, they, they because it's a treadmill, it's a lot of runners, and there was okay, we're gonna run through. I haven't been able to travel in over a year. I, I usually travel overseas like twice a year um, with my mom and we haven't been able to travel and I am just itching. So, so far I've been to Iceland, I've been to Croatia, <laughs> I've been to Tokyo, I've been to Portugal. And honestly, there's something in your brain when you're running these things, you're like, oh my God, I'm in split Croatia. This is fantastic. So if I can't travel, uh, I'm going to exercise my way across the world. So that is, is what's given me joy. And, and Will, uh, what's given you joy this week, man?
1: Well, well, now mine's gonna sound incredibly petty and 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 after mean, that, so after what I just said, what <laughs> do I said the iPad thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. So I'll start off with saying I I, I do understand people because I saw a couple of folks jump into the comments saying that you know like they're not gonna make up with Republicans, and I totally understand that. It is hard, and it takes a lot, and, and it's something that you know that everyone has has had so much asked of them for the last year and a half that I can understand this feels like a bridge too far. But I mean. And I realized that this is not a bar I want to hold everyone else to, but I, I was able to work with some, you know, folks who were walking away from being a part of a white supremacist, supremacist militia that was supporting an active domestic terrorist and sat across from them in a Starbucks for two and a half hours in Spokane to get information that we needed to help expose, you know, Matt Shea and his his sort of like circle of, of ne'er-do-wells here in Washington State. And so, you know it's not fun. <laughs> like I'm not trying to say this is going to be a pleasant experience. Um, but you can do it. And it, it does make a positive difference. And, and it might not be, you know, at that level of scale. But you know, in your own life, it can it can have a, a, a you know, some measure of, of gratification. And so Um, My personal gratification is to come from something that's a little bit more uh, schadenfreude than than either of the two of you, but um, at least there's one grifting Republican who's finally facing some accountability in Washington State, um, and that's Tim Eyman, who just this week uh, was, yes, uh, found to have the largest individual judgment, I think, in in campaign finance litigation history, uh, with like $2.6 million he now has to pay to the state. For his just complete disregard for the rule of law and and, and our campaigns, and and has been barred from managing the sort of kickback schemes that he could, you know, that has been kept kept in the float ever so. So, you know, it wasn't uh, his chair theft that got him finally in trouble with the law, but, you know, always enjoy a a good press release from Bob Ferguson that that tells us that something good is happening in the world.
0: I was going to say, watch out office chairs everywhere because Tim Eyman is broke. So he's he's coming for you. All right, you guys, that is it uh, for this week in review. Thank you, Will Casey.
1: Thank you, Stefan. Always happy to be
0: here. And thank you, Shasti Conrad.
2: Thank you, Stefan. Thanks, Will.
0: And that is it for this week. The email for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.